Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host, Vince Peart. Once again, and always, I am joined by my co-host, Tilly Baden. Tilly, my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Hello, everyone. Well, honestly, Vince, I am exhausted today. Um, so <laughs> yesterday we had our Mental Capacity Act conference, as we talked about on the podcast last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a massive success. Um, I'm so proud of my team. They were absolutely amazing. Um, it's been such a busy week and well it takes a year to plan for the conference so it's um a lot goes into it but it was really really successful the guest speakers were amazing my presentation went really well so I was talking about liberty um human rights fair trials and sort of a a historic past to the present day and then looking to the future about things like the UK Bill of Rights um I had a minor technical issue during the presentation where the admin that who was um hosting my slides and I had I was sort of taking control of the slides but he got kicked out um halfway through the slides and then I lost my presentation and then it it, it was a bit of a glitch but never mind it it was okay I soon got back into the flow and finished and it it was all all right and we've had some really really good feedback Um, and I'm also very full today because as part of the conference it was a bit like planning for a wedding because we had (laughs) to um, we had to choose a bakery to um, provide the cakes and the croissants and the the pastries so we'd been sampling for ages but um, we over ordered quite significantly um so for the last well yesterday evening and all of today we've just been pigging out on the leftover cakes and pastries and I've eaten far too much so I've sat here with a bit of a food baby um feeling very tired very full and a bit delirious so goodness knows what this podcast is going to be like today tired full and delirious that's exactly how I like my social workers Tilly so you are very welcome in my company. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you. Anyway, yeah. how did you get on? Because I know you went to the football this weekend or last weekend. How was it? Yes, yes. I was, uh, I was in London for the weekend. Well, I was in Bradford on the Thursday, Friday for work. And then when I finished Friday afternoon, I uh, just, I was already halfway down the country, so I may as well continue. So, I got into London. I got into London Saturday morning, should I say. I stayed Bradford Thursday, Friday. Got into London Saturday morning, uh, hit the West End, and then uh, went to Trafalgar Square and met up with 40,000 other Geordies. And we uh, essentially took over Trafalgar Square. Um, with uh, there were flares going off, there was lots of cans, as you can imagine. There were people diving about the Trafalgar Square fountains. There was uh, flags up. There was lots of football chants. Sam Fender was there. He uh, popped along, and he's he's uh, he's saxophonist. Johnny Blue Hat was blasting out local hero. It was an excellent time. And uh, the football itself on the Sunday at Wembley wasn't that great. We didn't, it wasn't a vintage performance from the tune. Uh, we didn't really show up and uh, man, you didn't have to do too much to beat us. They didn't play that well. A couple of lapses on our behalf. We lost 2-0, but it was a great weekend. It was a great weekend. And then I was up first thing Monday and straight back up. I essentially commuted to work 
from outer London on Monday morning. I set off on my home visits from London. I tried to ask my manager if I could claim uh, mileage on a technical home to office basis. As you can imagine, she said no. Of course. Yeah, that's a, a little bit out of the uh, commuting <laughs> radius, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. About 250 miles is a little bit too much. But no, thank you for asking. It was a, a good a good time was had by all, aside from the uh, the 90 minutes of the football itself. But as a long-term, lifelong Newcastle United fan, I am not uh, unfamiliar with losing a football match, let's put it that way. Um, before we get into the podcast today, guys, we said at the end of last week's podcast that if you leave your reviews, we'll start reading them out on the podcast. So please, if you listen on iTunes or any other podcast platform, if you leave a review of the podcast, we will read them out at the start of every show. And if you use your name there, we can give you a shout out as well. So we've looked through, we've got one review to read out this week. It's from Cottage Dweller 7. I like that name, Tilly. Cottage Dweller 7. It's quite a, you know, I imagine, do you think there must have been six other cottage dwellers if this person is the seventh person to dwell in a cottage? Are you a cottage dweller, Tilly? Would you like to dwell in a cottage? Well, my parents live in a cottage. So So you are uh, a cottage dweller. Yeah. You're a junior cottage dweller. Yeah. Maybe I was one of the, uh, the one to six or something yeah. no no <laughs> no I no. didn't write a review of my own podcast that would be a bit of um that would be a bit sad wouldn't it really so no well I, the I... seventh the seventh cottage dweller seven did so cottage dweller seven says brilliant would give it more stars if I could the best podcast around for social work all the topics can be heavy I never find myself weighed down quite the opposite it feels like a burden being lifted to hear such issues spoken about in a way that is rooted in the reality of our work and lives. Possibly because it's more like listening to your friends talking, my commute is nowhere near as taxing listening into the discussion of the week. Often makes me reflect on my own practice and always find myself smiling or laughing at some point throughout. I always look forward to the next episode. Well, Cottage Dweller 7, thank you ever so much for your review. That is very welcome, isn't it, Tilly? Yeah, that's so lovely. It's always lovely to hear feedback, and um, we're glad you enjoy the show. Yeah, thank you very much, Cottage Dweller 7, and I hope you are liking dwelling in your cottage, or commuting, as you listen to us, as you said. Um, so this week's this this week's topic, Tilly, uh, to bring it down a notch after all that jovial talk, um, we're going to discuss why are social workers quitting in record numbers? So... As you and I have discussed many times before, Tilly, as you and I have written about many times before on the pages of mysocialworknews.com, there are major issues in terms of both recruitment and retention. We know that we cannot fill posts. We know that. We've known that for as long as you and I have been social workers. Such has it been. It is now worse than it's ever been before. Uh, The government in the United Kingdom, in England specifically, I should say, Um, The Department for Education in England release a yearly workforce census, and it essentially shows, it's essentially a a state of the profession is the best way to describe it. Uh, This year's report, which was published last Thursday, shows the number of social workers has fallen for the first time ever on record, and that's driven by more people leaving the profession than ever before. 
This is despite there being a rising need for staff and record vacancy rates. So figures over the course of 2022 show that a total of 5,400 social workers left the profession for good. And that's a 9% rise from 2021. And that's a record high of those leaving. But for the first time ever, those leaving are not being replaced in similar numbers. And data shows that there were 4,826 new full-time equivalent starters over the last year. So the gap between those leaving and the council's inability to replace them means that vacancies now stand at a record high of 7,900. That's another rise. That's 21% rise in vacancy rates from 2021. And as things stand, that means that 20% of all social work positions within children and families are unfilled. When you put all those numbers together, Tilly, it means our workforce has shrunk by 2.7% over the past year. It's not looking good, is it? It's not looking good. No, and it's really concerning that this seems to be a downward trajectory. And I just sort of wonder, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but are we still going to be talking about this in future years and being like, well, it wasn't that bad in 2023 because it's dire in 2025, Mm. 2026. And when does it stop? It is a really scary time. And we don't want to be doom and gloom on this podcast because we try and... um, try and keep things uplifting where we can but this is the reality that's that's being faced by our profession and what I think is is really concerning is that our rates of of pay and our working conditions are getting effectively worse so our pay isn't going up in line with the cost of living and more and more people are choosing to go agency and and I don't blame people for doing this because you better I hadn't Tilly because you know I've spent well, I, I know I know myself, I know so exactly I um I, I'll I, I get cottage dweller seven if you start having a go at my choice of career cottage dweller seven you know there could be a space here for you depending on how <laughs> depending on how Tilly plays the cards over the next three minutes <laughs> no, I've got nothing bad to say about agency social workers because I've considered it myself. Um, I chose to remain permanent, but I certainly don't blame anyone that does leave. You've got people have got families to feed and times are hard. And actually the the attractiveness of local authorities and permanent positions is not what it used to be. Um, you don't get your secure pensions like you used to. You don't get all the perks of the jobs. I mean, there are there are some perks compared to agency work, but if it's cash that people need, then you can't blame people for for leaving and choosing to go agency. Um, and and it's not just about the money either, because although money is a, a, a motivator for for many of us, and and it has to be in some ways it's it's working conditions and the problem is as soon as a team starts to shrink and gets more and more vacancies those cases don't disappear they have to go somewhere or they go onto waiting lists and then you're just firefighting with crisis management and that makes working conditions harder and then more people leave and then you it's just that vicious cycle where you can't can't really get out of that very easily at all unless something really radical changes. 
Well, I mean, the question I would ask clearly is, where on earth would we be without agency social workers? You know, if you don't have workers that can come in with experience and hit the ground running, you leave children and their families at significant risk of harm. And that, you know, I read a lot online about people bashing agency social workers. I don't reply because people aren't going to be convinced because they've just got an agenda. But as you've said yourself there, when you break down the lack of sickness pay, lack of holiday pay, the lack of pension contributions, when you, when you, I mean, a big one to consider is um, a lack of maternity pay. Uh, you don't get progression. You don't get your training. Look, your take-home pay does look a lot higher. We can't deny that. But when you break down all of the perks and security and career progression, there isn't much difference in terms of the financial cost to the local authority in terms of the commitment and so on. And you know, where would it be without agency social workers is the question I would ask. But there's another question I'm going to ask before we get onto that one in terms of um, in, in terms of these figures. Telly, um, why are more people leaving social work than ever before? I think times are just harder. Um, I think the the ongoing impact of austerity we we've never recovered from that so resources in local authorities are just ever decreasing I think every single year we're facing cuts um, and that makes work harder if we don't have enough money to support the people that we're working with um, and I mean I can only really talk for adults now because my, my childcare practice is out of date but um certainly in adults when the resources are really tight it becomes harder to get funding agreed for placements for care for domiciliary care everything becomes that much harder everything becomes that much more bureaucratic and time consuming paperwork demands increase and then when you get less workers as well to take on new cases, waiting lists grow. And then that puts an extra pressure on duty systems who have to pick up those crises that happen because we're still statutory services. We still have to look after those people when they're in absolute crisis. Someone has to pick that up. And that's really tiring, draining work. It mean, it puts an impact on your ongoing cases. We're seeing our thresholds getting higher and higher. I was talking to a colleague today um, when she first joined social work about she was saying, sort of 15, 20 years ago. Court work in adults wasn't even a, a, a thing. You, you mm. never went to court. Whereas now all the course, all the cases are, are court work. You're just dealing with those more complex more time-consuming pieces of work um, that just you don't get that reward anymore with the time that you actually get to spend with people doing the, the stuff that we enjoy doing as social workers. It's just so paperwork-heavy, finance-driven um, and bureaucratic, and, and people have had enough. It's no longer as attractive as it once was um, to work for local government. Yes. Um, yes to all of the above is what I would say to that. I um, obviously I've, I'm, I'm in my 11th year in child protection now, and that's all I've done. And obviously this, this state of the workforce particularly focuses on my career. I see a lot of promise come from social work leaders, government, 
people leading reviews and reports and so on. But nothing ever fundamentally changes. I mean, even the care review that we're, we're seeing about to be enacted now, we had two years of Josh McAllister running this care review, lots of recommendations made, and then the government come out and say, well, we're going to give you about 20% of the money that you wanted. Um, call me cynical. Call me cynical. But it's almost as if they're, it, it's, it's that bad the profession is being guided so poorly, it's almost as if it's being intentionally sabotaged and run to the ground because there's no innovation, there's no change, there's no clear leadership. Every local authority has a slightly different model and uses different computer systems. There's no clear national strategy. Every couple of years, someone comes in and says, let's rip up the rule book and start again. Different local authorities use different practice models. Some use signs of safety, some use strengths-based, some don't, some use bits of this and bits of that. We don't really have a clear national framework. I mean, we've got the PCF, the Professional Capabilities Framework, but it's not really used as it should be. And then it was was owned by the College of Social Work. And then I think it was the HCPC, and now it belongs to BASWA, but nobody really uses it properly. You've got the SYE progression, which some local authorities use as like a college-based model, where they have the social workers going to different places, and they all come together, and they're based in different teams. You've got social workers that can enter the profession through various different routes. Some come through degrees, some come through masters, some come through step-up to social work, some come through apprenticeships, some come through frontline. It just seems as if it's almost like the best way I can describe um social work and its current guys, Tilly, and child protection, it's like Frankenstein's monster. It's like, well, we've bolted all these bits together that may independently seem like a good idea and may work. And then there's no clear direction. Like, are we, are we going to listen to Sky? Are we listening to Baswa? Are we listening to the What Works Centre? Are we listening to Isabel Trowler? Are we listening to Josh McAllister? Should we try and embed front lines practices? Should we try and embed university practices? Are we going down the apprenticeship? It just, it's so confusing. It's so bloated and it lacks, it lacks a clear point of action of what should a good social worker be? What should good social work look like? And how do we do the best for the people we support? Because it's, it's, it's base, social work is that simple, but it's awfully complicated. And then you add in timescales. You know, social work is so poor at lean working and targeted working and working in an innovative model, model and manner. I mean, if you think about child protection, for one example, you have this bizarre situation where... Uh, if, a, if an assessment social worker takes a case through as a referral and they have 45 working days and they deem that a child might be at risk of significant harm. So one person doing one assessment deems a child going to be at risk of significant harm. They'll take that to a child protection conference. Then you've got an independent reviewing officer who's going to make a decision, having potentially never met the children and maybe had a brief conversation with them if that. And they'll have no involvement in that case for another three months and another six months after that. They can make a decision that there's going to be a child protection plan. And you can hark back to your days in child protection until you know once a plan gets made, it can only come off at the first review after three months in exceptional circumstances. So you end up being involved with a family for nine months because of these rigid processes, and it doesn't need to be that long. You know, we're, we're stuck 
we're stuck with these processes that are tacked on and someone made up in an office years and years ago and decided that sounds like a good idea. And it's rolled out without any review and with any thought and without the local authority able to, to step out of the of, of these rules and work innovatively. And of course, we did have this plan. You know, we had a plan about six years ago that would allow local authorities to practice more innovatively and to step out of the rigid rules. And it was contested by Caroline Willow from Article 39, I think her organization's called. And um, that was deemed okay. We're not going to allow councils to do that. And it just seems as if we get nowhere because there's so many competing voices and so many different ways of doing it and so many people who think they know best. You've got local authorities arguing with universities, universities arguing with frontline, everybody arguing with Basra, Basra calling on everybody to take action, nobody liking the government. It's exhausting, Tilly. It's absolutely exhausting. And because of all this, how on earth when a system that is so confusing and so convoluted and so bloated, how on earth is that going to result in happy, healthy, efficient social workers? I don't know. I don't know. No. Just just hearing that, just listening to all of the things that are going wrong, I think to myself, gosh, I just, how can anyone survive in that culture? And it takes, I think, the people that, that's sticking out and I, I'm going to class you and I amongst those because we, we've done our time I think the the average um, burnout rate isn't it eight years or something so we've both we've hit that target mm. we've um we've come out the other side and I think we're both pretty settled in, in in social work but the people that don't last to that point or beyond are the people that I think take this all to heart and it becomes such a drain on their own emotions you've got to be able to step back from it all and think right things are going to be really dire and really hard but I can do what I can do that's in front of me I can make a difference and I can be a good social worker to what's in front of me and the people that I'm supporting. I'm not going to be able to change the world as much as that was my initial driver when I was at university. I will do what I can do and I'll do my best and I'll help as many people as I can, but I can't change society or the government or local authorities or BASWA or any of our overarching guidelines. That is, as you say, there's too many competing voices. You've just got to almost focus on doing the stuff that's in front of you just to survive this chaos and 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 that's what happens that that's you have to develop that thick skin you have to you almost have to i mean the social workers i know who sort of lasted out the longest they almost develop a, a sort of cynical and jaded attitude it's it's almost like a survival mode the social workers i see that really struggle are the ones that try to do everything expected of them because well who do you please you know, who, who, whose model of best practice do you follow? Is it what you were taught at university? Is it the practice model that your local authority is trying to embed? Is it the one they did three years ago, but they then scrapped and said, no, stop using that. We're no longer using signs of safety. We're now using a different model. Is it your former manager who told you that they wanted you to do something a different way? Is it your practice educator? Is it what you read in Vince P. It's said in Social Work News every week? Is it what your lecturer told you? Is it what you told on your practice educator's course? Is it what you've read in the latest theory book? There was a, there was a lack of clear guidance in terms of this is what good social work is. Now, even if we had that, 
of course, were potentially not provided with the the environment to 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 practice properly. You know, even if we know what good social work is, and we have excellent social workers that are trained in whatever model and come through whatever training program you wish to name, if we don't have the environment for them, it is going to be a struggle. Now, I'm going to ask you this now, Tilly, and see what you think about this one. You and I have said, okay, this is this has been going on for a while. We know it's been going on for a while. The data bears that out. What's changed over the past couple of years to worsen the situation, though? Because we're saying it's been difficult for a while. I've listed lots of issues there that have, you know, decade or so in the making at least. Why have we now got to a point where it's worse than it's ever been before? What's changed over the past couple of years? Yeah, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but I think COVID has had a massive impact on our profession. And I think it's changed the way that we work. And I think it's changed the way that we think about our time and how precious it is. And I think it's it's put extra pressures on society in, in general, Um and I think that's been one of the triggers, although it, we were heading to that point before COVID and, and we've been saying for many years, things are getting worse, things are getting harder. We've got um, the ongoing impact of austerity and the ongoing impact of having a conservative government in power for so many years. I mean, I've never practiced under anyone else other than the Conservative Party. So I think that has dwindled social work away. But then I don't... I don't see how it's going to change no matter who's in power. I don't know. And I don't want to sound really cynical because it's a depressing time, but equally it's still, it's still okay. We're still doing the best that we can do. And we're still making those small positive wins and small changes into people's lives. And on an individual basis, I think we're all doing the best that we can do and that's really important and I don't want to take away from that but society in general is really struggling. You make a fair point about COVID because it's not lost in us that we had to continue working you know we weren't furloughed for six months we didn't have that time out we had to go out there and put ourselves at risk and um, a former colleague of mine died he died from COVID um, because he was still having to go out and work um you know, I worked with my, I changed jobs just in, in the end of March 2020, just as we went into lockdown. Excellent time to start a new job. I literally started a new position um, the week that Boris announced the lockdown. And of course, it never changed for social workers. Obviously, our job changed, but the work didn't change. We just, you know, were in the office less and we uh, went online for meetings and um, we put ourselves at risk. And yeah. You know, my, my former colleague, um, Glenn, he uh, he passed away, passed away of COVID. And it, it, there are many, many social workers all over the world who faced exactly the same risks. And I think after you've gone through such a, a life-changing monumental experience that we all went through, you know, a seismic global event, it does make you reevaluate your life. And I think it makes a lot of people, especially those who lost loved ones, consider well is this what I want to spend my time on earth doing and a lot of people when they've soul searched they've perhaps thought well maybe not 
maybe if social work was what I thought it would be, then yes, I would love to do that. But it's very difficult to love a job that doesn't love you back. Yeah. And I think as well, the younger generations that are coming through, and I don't know if this is just because I'm seeing it in my echo chamber of TikTok and social media, but I'm seeing these these younger generations question the ways that the older generations have been working. People are saying, actually, this hustle culture, this putting in long hours for no reward, like, where does it lead you? It just leads you getting ill it doesn't get you any more financial stability. I mean, people from, I don't know, millennials and and Gen Z and even Gen X, that they're not in any better financial situation, no matter how hard they work. And I think it's, it's changing the way that society views employment. Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point, but I think that shifts good. I think that shifts healthy. And it's about what you value. And if people are thinking, well, actually, you know, I I value my free time and I value a peaceful life over money and the trappings of excess, then that's a positive thing. But I just think it's such a shame that we can't offer that because, you know, you and I love our jobs, Tilly. You and I love our jobs to the extent that, yeah, we'll sit here and mourn about them, but we wouldn't do anything else and we still do it. And, you know, in our own fields, we, we were successful in our um, fields of social work. But not everyone has got through the hump like we have and not everybody's got. And it's lucky. I don't consider myself to have any particular skill above other social workers, you know, because I've certainly known social workers who I consider to be a lot better than me go off a long term sick and never come back. So I don't know what it is why some people can manage and some people don't. That's why I, I write it off as luck rather than trying to find a label for it. Um, yeah, it, it depends on many different factors, doesn't it? We don't want to be course. certainly don't want to be blaming any individuals. Um, not no victim blaming here. This isn't it's it's circumstance and and luck, as you say. That's why I use the term luck because the the I think it's the safest way to describe it. If I simply say, well, I'm lucky to have never taken time off sick. I'm lucky to have never felt like I was going to burn out or to have felt like I wanted to quit the profession, but. I'll be honest, Tilly, it feels like a ticking time bomb because, as I say, there's certainly people who have seemed to be coping far better and doing far better with the job than I ever have who have just suddenly one day thought, is this worth it? And that is why we need an environment that really nurtures that because we cannot fix this issue by laying the blame on social workers. And that's what we've seen from the government here. So if we have a look at the the government, as always, offer a response, a response to why things are so bad. So the government's comment uh, on the day this uh, data was released on Thursday was that the latest results from the Children's Services Omnibus showed that of the third of local authorities who responded, a majority cited recruitment and retention to be a key challenge. Additionally, there were no step up to social work graduates in 2022, since the training programme delivers a new cohort of qualified social workers in alternate years. The reported difficulties in recruitment and retention and the lack of newly qualified step up graduates helps to explain the fall of the number of children of family social workers in 2022. So essentially, Essentially, that's saying this can be excused because we didn't have enough step up to social work graduates come in and this will all be addressed by simply having more workers. And that's the answer. 
every single time it's we need more people, we need more people, we need more people, it's never we need to change the system. So if you have a look at everything the government try and do to address this issue, it's um, let's 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 open up a fast track schemes, frontline, step up to social work, let's open up apprentice routes, um, let's make it easier for people to become social workers. Let's get more people in. Let's recruit more people. But it's never let's pay people more. It's just let's get more people in. As if there's lots of people out there just sat waiting at home thinking, do you know what? I can't wait to be a social worker. I really can't wait. But the government just needs to recruit them. Well, it wouldn't it simply be a better option simply to focus on retaining the staff we've got? Not only would that be a better option to resolve the, to, to resolve the recruitment crisis, but surely, Tilly, Surely is that not far better for the people we support and we go to work to help every single day? Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, it just treats people like a commodity. It's like we're just disposable products that, oh, that one's broken. Let's throw it out and get a new one. Yes, (laughs) Yes, that's it. That's what it's like. Good work. It's like, yeah, we're machines or something. I don't know, laptops fixed. We tried restarting, don't work, throw it out, get a new one. Um, and it's it's just not humane at all. And I don't think that this is just social work either. I think I think a lot of the the helping professions or or any public service is going through the same thing. I mean, you look at our colleagues in the NHS and they're hemorrhaging staff. Um they just, it, it, local government just, or lo, it's not just even local government, just just public service just isn't keeping up um, with the, well, the private sector or workers, there just isn't enough workers. And I don't know why, because we've got a bigger population at work than we've ever had before. Um, I did at one point blame Brexit and, and, that issues and certainly that's been an issue for our care agencies recruiting carers or mm. not being able to to recruit carers since Brexit because um, of all the difficulties that it has in in now the employment law changes but that's that's not the issue either I, I don't know I, I, I just don't know we've got more people but I don't know where they are yeah well I just think we need a proper and this is this is this is the sad thing, you know. The care review was meant to was meant to be the answer to this. The care review was ordered three years or so ago now, in order to specifically look at this. And once again, we are going to get a watered down, damp squib of a response that promised so much and delivered so little, and it will remain on the backs of people like you and I and our listeners through going above and beyond and working for free and putting in far more effort than their reputation and wage deserves to keep the system going. Um, I'm going to end on this question, Tilly. I'm going to say to you, right, okay, Tilly, you're in charge now. You know, you did an excellent job at the, uh, at the mental capacity conference. I've been charmed by you. You've got the job. You've got the job of fixing social work. What are you going to do? to retain more staff and what are you going to do to recruit more staff? I resign. I don't want the position. <laughs> I'm running away. Oh, I think that's a really hard job. Um, and I don't think there is a quick fix and I don't want to chicken out by not answering at all, but 
I, I honestly, I don't know. I mean, there are there are small changes that could be made. We could change the legislation. I mean, sounds like the Children Act needs revising. Certainly, in in adults, the Care Act needs revising as well. And the way that we pay for social care needs to change. We need to to fund services properly. Um, because I think if you improve the working conditions, you'll naturally keep more staff. Yes. Um, and just make it a bit more less paperwork heavy, less bureaucratic, less clunky. Mm. Sort out basic things like IT systems. Shove <laughs> us all on one IT system so we can all talk to each other yeah. and just make it user friendly. Um, just sometimes it's the little things that would make our world so much better um and would i think that would contribute to to making people want to stay i don't know could i throw the question back at you please because i don't really have a coherent answer well you say you haven't got a coherent answer and you've you've done a very good job at delivering one there telly so don't uh, don't knock yourself my friend um i i'm with you in the sense that we need to fix the system rather than fix the people working in the system because no matter what we do with our workforce, they are still going to be battened down by the uh, same issues that uh, affect us all. Um, obviously, I come out from a purely child protection basis. We're involved with too many people. Our thresholds are all over the place and we've got too many children in care. We also have a massive inconsistency in terms of what is a threshold for significant harm. Essentially, it comes down to subjectivity the vast majority of the time. And subjectivity is shaped by many different things. It's shaped by that person's life experience. It's shaped by, I'm, I'm talking about the person who's making a decision about what, what action to take. It's shaped by that person's life experience. It's shaped by that person's own personal values. It's shaped by that person's training. It's shaped by that person's experience as a social worker. Um, and it's also shaped by, you know, the fear of what they've maybe seen on the news that week or what they're learning about or their own personal fears and all, or own personal anxieties. It's also shaped by risk aversion. A lot of people are so scared that they're going to get in trouble for not making the right decision that it always seems easier to err on the side of caution. That is why we get too many children and families I don't mean to use this term in a disparaging, you know, manner, and this certainly isn't targeted at the I'm not saying children clog up the system, but the term I am going to use is clog up the system because if you end up with a process and a system that is not focused on the people that need it most, and you have lots of unnecessary people involved in that, and that's people that don't want social work support. A lot of people I work with don't want a social worker in their lives. They don't. They don't want a social worker in their lives, but they fear that they have to. So we we need to really, we need to be working with far less people. And if you simply did that, if you simply said, right, we're going to have a real hard look at thresholds. Social workers are really going to be trained. There's going to be a, a national system used this is what we will get involved with you know we have a national framework like the bernardo's dv rim or something like that for those who don't know what that is it's a it's the bernardo's domestic violence risk indication matrix essentially a um a large sheet and you you tick certain triggers and it 
decides whether, you know, the threshold has to be no further action, early intervention, child in need, child protection or beyond. We need something like that on a national level. Things like the um, parent assess assessment model are quite good for that because it's a, it's a traffic light system. You need to take out determining what requires local authority and involvement in a family's life from it being a subjective decision to being an objective decision. It needs to be a science rather than an art. And that's why I welcome things like um, artificial intelligence. You know, the use of artificial intelligence and algorithms to determine where social workers should be involved. It's been tried, but if you get the same old people who have a go at it, oh, we shouldn't do that. It's cold hearted. But none of these people work within the system. They're all people who look outside and criticize it without actually doing the frontline job. We need a real radical look at child protection social work, and we need to accept that if people don't want us involved in their lives, and we don't have a real valid objective evidence-based reason to be involved in their lives, we need to be not getting involved when we need to close cases down. We shouldn't just be involved in people's life for a risk, risk aversion or fear. Uh, and the issue is, Tilly, is when we are involved in people's lives, like I said earlier, you end up on a sort of three-month, six-month, nine-month conveyor belt, and you can't just suddenly get off of that and one say, do you know what, everything's fine, let's close the case down. You can't. You've got to submit a report. You've got to go to conference. You've got to wait for time to do that. You've still got to do your two weekly visits. You're still going to have your four weekly meetings. You've still got to make sure your paperwork's on the system, even if things are going well and the conversations that you have with the family are the same every time. We are so process-driven and so process-heavy that, we are unable to do the work. So that's my simple solution to this, is we need to be working with less people. We need to be giving more people the freedom to live their lives as they choose and focus on the families that really need us in their lives. I would say maybe half of all the cases I've ever held in social work could and should have been closed down far earlier than they were but couldn't because of arbitrary timescales that were enforced upon social workers through no rationale or reason other than that's what the book says we have to do. It's not person-centred. It's not strengths-based. It's not in the best interest of the people we support, but it's determined that we have to do that. And if we could simply make that one change of leaner, smarter, more targeted social work that trusted people to raise their own children without the overbearing arm of the local authority getting involved, you could slash cases in half and then we wouldn't have an issue because almost all of the problems in social work stem from too much paperwork, too high cases, social workers being overburdened. That's why people leave jobs. That's why people leave the profession for good. That's why people go off on sick. That's why people burn out. That's why people don't even make it through university after a bad experience on placement. That's why people don't make it through the ASYE year after a bad first year in social work. Half the cases through targeted, driven support that gets rid of all arbitrary time scales and everything else would fall into place. It's that simple for me. It really is that simple. Yeah, I think in adults, uh, one of the biggest problems would be solved if we stopped outsourcing care and just had one agency, one provider, and they could do domiciliary care, residential care, they could do the support that was needed by the local populations, because a competitive um, capitalist driven market shaping has not worked. It was brought in by the Care Act, and it's 
obvious that it's just failing because de- demand far outseeds supply. So providers become like they don't have those sort of drive to improve or, or drive to keep costs down or anything. They just it, it it's it's whoever you can get normally to provide care. And actually, a lot of adult social work is around. Pro- improving the quality of care and then doing tasks like brokering and financing and sorting out funding whereas actually if we didn't have to then do a market search for every time we needed to get a residential home placement to try and find the best value option of which home is cheaper that day than the next day then that would reduce a huge amount of burden on on adult social care workers. Do you know what Tilly it's almost as if Everyone had the right idea 40 years ago in the 1980s before we decided, oh, well, let's, uh, let's, let's start trying to improve things. My old adage is, and you know that I am conservative with a small c a lot of the time, um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We have continuously tried to fix social work to the point where it is very much broken. Um, so there we go, Terry. Um, let's wait until I get appointed to be the uh, saviour, the self-anointed saviour of children's social work. And I will simply say, right, get everyone half your caseload within four weeks. You've got four weeks to close half your cases. Bang, there we go. Simple as that. And you can um, renationalize the care service. How about that? Uh, I, I, as I said at the beginning, I don't want the job. So uh, you might have to find someone else. I think I'll, uh, I'll stick with where I am. I think that would be a very tricky role. Well, Cottage Dweller 7, if you are listening today and you'd like a job, do get in touch. Um, On that note, Tilly, thank you ever so much. You know, given that you were full, delirious and tired, I have uh, have worked you hard and you've come through this trial with aplomb. So congratulations, my friend. You've done well. Thank you. I'm just going to go to bed now and probably lay in my bed watching TikTok to decompress. Reward yourself with some more cake. No more cake. No (laughs) more cake. Absolutely not. No more food today. Um, As always, guys, thank you ever so much for listening. Uh, You can find um, two stories on what we've been discussing on mysocialworknews.com. If you don't already follow us, you can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at Social Work News. Do please consider leaving a review on this podcast, uh, like Cottage Dweller 7, we will read out your review on the next show. We'll be back this time next week. Until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Mm-hmm.